0: Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics. This is the Bellatour Christie Podcast brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evolo, as we step into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and Ronan, Montana. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast with yours truly, Brian Chilton and Curtis Everlow. And we're starting off with the Word of the Lord. This one uh, coming to us from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. It says, But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household... He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. I got to mention what's going on here.
1: I had to play it. Dance with the Wonderbrunga.
0: For those who don't know, this is the classic rock band. Petra, and uh, this actually, we're talking about family on this podcast, this actually uh, started with a conversation with my family, we were playing a card game or something like that, and then it um, seemed like I said something along the fact that you got to dance with the one who brung you, and they were looking at me like strange, I was like, <laughs> you never heard that? They said, no, I said, it came from Petra, they said, who's Petra? And Curtis, I think I failed as a spiritual leader of my home at that moment, I realized that. <laughs> <laughs> so, all this month, we are, for our last month of season five, we are paying homage to Petra with, uh, we're going to start the podcast off with songs, uh, some of Petra's famous songs, so, uh, that's where we are, and that's kind of what's happened, <laughs> dance with the one who brung you.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> what a classic band that is, um. That was always one of my favorites. Just the the drum set he had was was one that I uh, man I uh, I thought that was the coolest set there. You know it was I don't know probably had eight to nine toms on a, on a rack style drum set and had double bass and yeah it was pretty slick setup and man uh, good music back in the day. Oh absolutely. As as old as as old as this may sound, I can remember. Having a cassette uh, Walkman that I that I had to back in the day, it it didn't just play, and you couldn't just um, uh, uh, flip it to or uh, you know push to the other side or push to the next songs. It was actually you had to take the take the cassette out, flip it over, and then play it. Um, That I remember that with that with that with that. petra song
0: there i remember that as well the same album i think it's unseen (laughs) power that came from that album is a great that was a great album as well
1: that's the one with the with the old with the windmill on it yeah yeah wind generator on it
0: yeah (laughs) yeah blue blue sky background with a wind wind turbine or wind uh yeah solar power wind generator
1: huh yeah
0: so Curtis, yeah, before, before we get power. Hmm. before we get started and and roll, rocking and rolling too hard, I uh, just want to let everybody know a couple things going on with the ministry. First and foremost, uh, the, tonight is actually the night that uh, the 2022 class of 2022 is graduating from the School of Divinity at Liberty. I think uh, our own uh, Shire, Shireen Nakuri or uh, Shire, Nakuri is a part of that class. Uh, she's one of our contributors, so congratulations to her graduating with her PhD. Uh, Hope to be walking that uh, that uh, pathway next year, God willing. And uh, but we're just excited for uh, for many of the individuals, some even part of our team uh, who were there tonight. So congratulations to the class of 2022. Also want to let you know a couple other things with the ministry going on. That's very exciting. Uh, we have a newsletter, letter uh, called the Sword and Shield, and we are actually uh, accepting subscriptions, free subscriptions to the newsletter. So if you'd like to kind of know. What's going on with the ministry? If you kind of, if you also like to know the schedule of contributors, if you have a favorite writer, uh, say maybe Curtis Evalo is your favorite writer, uh, you can see the schedule and when uh, those uh, articles from those authors will be published. We've got a lot of great stuff going on there, and then uh, also just recently discovered that we could post our podcasts. Uh, to our Facebook page at Bellator Christie, uh, the Facebook page, so you can actually hear the podcast there as well. So, uh, just extending the outreach of the Bellator Christie podcast.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting. Hey, you know, one thing about that, folks, is the is that Sword and Shield um, newsletter is is amazingly well published. I mean, it's got it's got graphics on it and things on it that are just very well put together. Very professional. Um, it, it's, it, we're proud of it as, 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 as a ministry to be able to put something out like that. we just thank that thank Brian for the efforts and, and Michelle for all the editing, everything that's gone into all of it along the way. We certainly certainly are proud of it and want people to engage with it. I think it's a great way to be able to get information out, um, on a, on a, quarterly setup, and and, uh, good information in it.
0: And i got to brag on you, Curtis. You did a great job. You had an article there in the newsletter, and your article uh, for last month, uh, for the month of April, was in a hot, hard race with uh, Dr. Dan Merritt's article on Voltaire, and yours won by something like 10 to 13 uh, views. And so I have never seen – I've seen some articles tie before, but I've never seen the back and forth that happened between your article and his. And then uh, there was a last surge there the last couple of days before the end of the month that really put yours ahead. And that's just really two great articles there. Uh, but that was really a lot of fun to sit back and watch to see mm. whose article would come out on top. It was, a, it was fun to watch
1: yeah I just had no idea and i'm I'll be honest with you. I can't even believe I was in a running at all with that, but yeah I mean just I know what God laid on my heart when i when I wrote that article and and uh you know um I put it out there it was the first one I ever really kind of put together, and i just i put my heart out there on it, and I was like i I need people to hear this it's 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 about the cross you know and so that thought what a good uh, good thing to do, but I honestly had no idea it was even going to do as well as it ever did. Plus, then be, a, be running against Doctor Merritt. I mean, oof. well, and, and if and forget about it, bar, you
0: know? barring any major changes, it's already. I mean, right now, uh, it's in the top five of the year, and so if it continues, it'll definitely well be within the top ten of the year. So, Crimson Worm, go check it out, folks. If you hadn't read it,
1: wow. Now, what, two, three years in a row?
0: Yeah, something like that, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Jeez, man. Yeah. Well, anyway, so we're, we we uh, finished out our Christology series, and, and uh, um, then we finished out uh, the Messianic prophecies leading up um, to the Passion. And now we're going to kind of – we're just going to kind of um, – pick some top line topics that we have. And, and today we're going to really talk into something that I believe is, is key and essential um, to every household, not pastors, not just the elite or, or your uh, um, leaders or, or any of that. I mean, we're talking, this is everybody, this needs to be everybody's focus. And so what it is, it's episode 29, and we're calling this episode, Family is Your First Ministry. Brian, you want to go ahead and talk into that a little bit?
0: Yeah, so this is actually coming from what has become the number one article of all, the most read article of all time at Bellator Christie. and And this was written back in 2019. And to be honest, Curtis, it, it, it's kind of like your crimson worm. It wasn't one that I anticipated, uh, that would have been the number one. Now, Your article was great. I'm not saying that, and and I'll, I'll enjoy this article too. But it's just it's yep. fun. It's funny the ones that uh, the ones you, you may not realize are the ones for me. The one I least expected turned out to be the most read article of all time on Bellator Christi. It's 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 really amazing to stop and consider it. I, it just kind of baffles my mind, because especially, you know, some of my favorite articles that I've written have been more on the 33 uh, logical fallacies and the uh, different r- evidences for the resurrection and things of that nature, but it was yeah. the family is your exactly. first ministry. This was the one that really has piqued the interest of a lot of people.
1: Yeah. That's the thing that amazes me is it's sometimes it's those articles that you just you just know was um, was laid on your heart by God just to put it out and just and just and just put it down and let God be the glory on that. And (laughs) I don't want to say too fast, but voila, there it is. And then all of a sudden God (laughs) takes it to a whole different level than we ever would have thought, you know.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, so um, answering a, re- a reader's question is kind of what we're going to um, go into first. And I we did have a reader that, that, that typed in and, and asked a question. Um, do you want to go ahead and – do you want me to read that, Brian, or do you want to go ahead and read it?
0: If you don't mind, that would be great.
1: Sure. So the question comes in from Nathan. And it says, Hi, Brian Chilton. I had a question regarding a statement you made regarding the Pharisees in your recent article. Four new arguments for the resurrection of Jesus. Here's the statement and question that the article released re, uh, related, uh, and a related footnote. Josephus, quote, Josephus noted that vast majority of the population in first century Israel were Pharisees. Josephus contended that the Pharisees were so loved that the Sadducees were so despised that the Sadducees would adopt certain notions from the Pharisees to find favor with the population. Josephus, in Antiquities 18, verse 15 through 17, doesn't, excuse me, unquote, doesn't the source instead convey that the Pharisees enjoyed the favor of the people Who themselves may not be Pharisees. Josephus in Antiquities 17 verse 42. Per the Wikipedia Pharisees they said. Seems to support this. That the group was more than 6,000 in number. A minority of the population of Judea. At that time period. I suspect my question comes down to either a typo. Or a misreading on my part. In any case I ask and hope. Uh, of gaining a better understanding of the cultural context in Jesus' time, having minimal background in this area. Thank you for reading. I wish you all the best with your dissertation. So thanks for writing in. We appreciate that, Nathan, and this is what we do. We we love to engage this kind of stuff, and um, that seems to be a pretty fun question, Brian.
0: Yeah, so I, I, I want to first of all say that in, in Book 17, uh, is is where he's quoting this and, and I just want to be I want people to take caution in quoting Wikipedia uh, because it, with it being a public source a lot of the things they, they have on there may be accurate but you always want to go back to the source. And so I don't know a whole lot about what's going on in book 17, to be honest with you. I haven't done a lot of study. But in the 42nd verse, it seems like he's talking about a group of men from the Pharisees uh, being above 6,000 that were... uh, well, let me just read. Let's, let me just read it in, in, in quotation here. Verse forty-two says, "Accordingly, when all the people of the Jews gave assurance of their goodwill to Caesar and to the king's government, these very men did not swear, being above six thousand. And when the king imposed a fine upon upon them, uh, Pharaonus' wife paid their fine for them." Okay, so. Here again, uh, she, she paid the paid the fine for them so they wouldn't have to do that. But in order to re, to uh, requite which kindness of her since they believed to have the foreknowledge of things to come by divine inspiration, they were foretold how God had decreed that Herod's government should cease and his posterity should be deprived of it and the kingdom uh, should come to her and Pharonis and to the children. So, anyhow... I'm not at all persuaded that this number is talking about all the people who were Pharisees. I think it's talking about a group of Pharisees, a uh, Pharisaical men who were numbered above 6,000 individuals. This this is by far not talking about the general populace, nor is it talking about everyone who was part of the the Pharisees. It's talking about a group of individuals who rose above or rose against uh, the, um, the 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 general the general decision of the populace to side with Caesar they stood against. Caesar and the whatever edict it was that was going on at that time. Again, I'm not exactly all that familiar with what's taking place at that section, so so uh, that we need to do a little bit more study in that regard. But when we're talking about the quote that uh, I gave in the article, uh, this is actually from Antiquities, uh, book 18, chapter 1, and this is verses 12. This is talking about. The uh, the philosophy of the Pharisees and the philosophy that were the philosophies that were held uh, during that time, and I'm going to go ahead and read uh, this text in its entirety, uh, so that we can have it here. So, going back to verse 11 of, uh, of book 18, chapter 1, says he, uh, Josephus says that the Jews had for a great while three sects of philosophy peculiar to themselves, the sect of the Essenes and the sect of the Sadducees, and the third sort of opinions uh, was that of those called Pharisees, of which sects, although I have already spoken in the second book of the Jewish War, yet I will touch upon them now. So, he goes on to describe the philosophy of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes. We won't touch on the Essenes. We'll just talk about the Pharisees and Sadducees. So, for the Pharisees, he says, they live meanly and despise delicacies and diet, and they follow the conduct of reason, and what uh, that prescribes to them is good for them, they do, and they think they ought earnestly to strive to observe reasons dictates for practice, They also pay a respect to such as are in years, nor are they so bold as to contradict them in anything that they have introduced. And when they determine that all things are done by fate, they do not take away uh, the freedom from men of acting as they think fit, since their notion is that it hath pleased God to make a temperament Whereby he wills uh, what he wills is done, and, but so that uh, the will of men can act virtuously or viciously. And he goes on to talk about they he, they believe an immortal soul, and that uh, they go on to believe that um, that under the earth. Uh, let me just read this. They also believe that souls have an immortal vigor in them, and that under the earth there will be rewards or punishments according as they have lived virtuously or viciously in this life, and the latter are to be detained in an everlasting prison. "...but that the former shall have power to revive and live again, on account of which doctrines they are able greatly to persuade the body of the people." Okay, so the vast majority of the people uh, were persuaded that the Pharisees were right. That's what he's talking about there. "...and whatsoever they do about divine worship, prayers, and sacrifices, they perform them according to their direction." Again, the people following the direction of the Pharisees, the philosophy of the Pharisees, insomuch that the cities, the cities of the nation at that time, gave great attestations to them on account of their entire virtuous conduct, both in the actions of their lives and in their discourses also. So, let me just give a little point here to say that not only were they powerful in their persuasion, Uh, in, in the preaching and proclamation of God's word that they gave, they also persuaded individuals by their very own virtuous conduct. They were holy, righteous people and sought to live after the Lord in that manner. Now, we have the Pharisees. He goes on in verse 16 to say, But the doctrine of the Sadducees is this, that souls die with the bodies, nor do they regard the observation of anything besides which the law enjoins them, for they think that it is... Yet an instance of virtue to dispute with those of teachers of philosophy whom they frequent. But this doctrine is received. Now listen very carefully. To this, but this doctrine is received, but by a few. Yet by those still of the greatest dignity. But they are almost uh, able to do almost nothing of themselves. Why? For when they become magistrates, as they are unwillingly and by force sometimes obliged to be, they addict themselves to the notions of the Pharisees (laughs) because the multitude would not otherwise bear them. So, Here Josephus tells us plainly that uh, the, the vast majority of the populace followed after the philosophy of the Pharisees. Now whether or not they were official Pharisees in that sense could be debated. But as far as whether they followed the philosophy of the Pharisees, I think that's clearly attested. Also, we see in John chapter 11 when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Remember, he's encountered by Martha, Lazarus' sister, who when Jesus tells her that he's going to rise again from the dead, she says, I believe that he will rise at the end. That's a very Pharisaical philosophical notion to hold because the Sadducees and the Samaritans, they didn't believe in a resurrection. However, the Pharisees and the Essenes did. So here again, I I think that um, I don't know what's going on in book 17 when he's talking about the 6,000 men, but uh, the the population of Jerusalem in the first century is well over 600,000. Uh, I don't know exactly what the population of Israel was, but we know that it's well over, probably well over a million by the time you count the six hundred thousand in Jerusalem, and then um, and then other areas as well. But um, I think the six thousand men are just a, a select group of people he's talking about in Book 17. But I think in Book 18, I think when you take the entirety of the context. I think he's really saying that the vast majority of people held to the philosophy of the Pharisees. And thank you for your question. Uh, I didn't realize Book 17 said that, uh, so that really caused me to dig a little deeper myself. Uh, That was a wonderful question, Nathan. I hope we answered it. And if you have any follow-up, feel free to contact us anytime.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that was... um... That was an interesting article you wrote, and and the fact that you put in, um, you know, new arguments um, leaning in there on that resurrection. I think that was that was really good, and I, that's the type of, that's the type of article writing that we have at Bellator Christie that is just <laughs> unbelievable. We got just a a bunch of deep thinkers that are just. They're good, and then to have uh, engagement from from people outside, you know, our listeners and our our readers, you know, interacting certainly is precious to us. So, yeah. So, this article, "Family is Your First Ministry," <laughs> is the all time most read article <laughs> on Bellator Christie's history on the webs- it's <laughs> website. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Just how popular is this article, Brian? Well, before
0: this article was published, the most popular articles had something to do with articles uh, pertaining to God's existence, uh, the resurrection, things of that nature. But this article was published right. March eleventh, twenty nineteen. Uh, it finished the year twenty nineteen, the seventh most read article that year. And since then it's been the most read article 3 years straight after that <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable and again this wasn't an article that i ever expected would be the number 1 article of all time but every single month it, it just it blows my mind because i'm seeing if you subscribe to the newsletter you'll see that we we have a website stat page uh, we we list the top three articles for that month, and this thing keeps popping up, you know, and it just it's really baffling to me. I, I never anticipated that this thing would have the type of exposure that it's had.
1: Yeah, well, God's got something to say in it. I mean, <laughs> truly, it is it is our first ministry for sure. So,
0: oh, most certainly.
1: Um, so, what what really yeah, what really inspired you to write the article then?
0: Well, there was actually a combination of things going on at that time. Um, I was really fighting a situation, circumstance that to, uh, a lot enough time to spend with my family and, um. that was a struggle that was ongoing uh, with some things going on in my life at that time that were trying to, to, to steer me away from from time with my family. And I had to make that conscientious effort to say, this time, this segment is devoted to my family, and nothing can separate that. you know. And so um, that was one of the things going on at the time and on a personal level. But another thing that was really kind of troubling me is seeing how many pastors— and not just necessarily pastors, but church leaders, business individuals, the list could go on and on and on, who were sacrificing their families at the altar of success. And um, yeah. I read a statistic around right about the time that I wrote this article about how um, there's a large number, I was trying to find the article for this podcast, but I couldn't find it. But it was talking about a large number of Church leaders that were talking about how negatively their families have been impacted by their ministry, and it just stopped caused me to stop to to pause, to take pause to to ask. Is it really the ministry that's hurting the family, or is it our negligence that's hurting our family? Are we are we allowing all these other forces in our lives to take away the time from our families? Now, granted, I know church ministry especially is very difficult. It's it's very taxing on the family. Um, you know what the pastor goes through, the family goes through as well. And I'm not saying that at all. I'm not trying to lessen the impact of that at, at, by by any by any means or any stretch of the imagination. But I do think there are many people, uh, whether it be pastors, whether it be business people, or whatever the case may be, who have kind of this Superman complex where we think that we we are going to be there, swoop down, save the day. That it's all up to us. But there is a classic saying. That I think we need to remember that one monkey doesn't stop a show. One monkey doesn't stop a circus. <laughs> the show can go on without you and can go on without me, uh, quite honestly. And at the end of the day, and I never will forget this, you know, my grandpa pastored some wonderful churches with some wonderful people and um, not taking. <laughs> Curtis is giving some <laughs> some signs of a monkey there, <laughs> but my grandpa pastored uh, some wonderful churches with some wonderful people, but at the end of the day, when it was it was time for him to to meet the Lord, and, and he took his drew his final breaths, The one that the ones that were by his bedside, uh, were, was his family. His family were the ones who were by his bedside at, when he passed, and that's something that we all need to remember that when the time comes. Chances are highly likely that it's going to be your family that's going to be there with you. And so uh, we need to make sure that we put things in proper perspective. Uh, yes, we've got a lot of things going on. Ministry is a very important task. But don't sacrifice your family uh, to just to have a big name. and Because um, th- th- your family is going to be the ones that's really going to suffer.
1: Yeah, wholeheartedly, um, you know, and it doesn't have to necessarily rest on on ministers and, and such like that. Definitely want to um, help ministers and, and pastors that do get into that situation where maybe that starts walking away or going away. But I'll be honest with you, there's times where even the congregation needs to step in yeah. and... and um, you know, recognize things with the pastor, or even just say, ask them, "How are you doing?" And there's going to probably be most of the time because um, they don't want to they don't want to really reveal stuff that's with them. But you can say, "How are you doing?" and 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 really mean it. Give them that extra thing. Here's one thing that that um, a friend of mine once said: when you hug somebody. When you give you know a hug to a friend or to a a person that's maybe suffering or whatever you 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 hug on them, but you hold on just that extra little second mm-hmm. or two, and as that happens, it's almost like they let down their guard, then they can actually talk they realize it's not just a pat answer it's not just a th- that you're actually reaching out to them and actually you know. Uh, Caring about them and showing them so either a handshake you hold on for a little bit longer Hug them do the same thing whatever so but but one of the biggest things as as my heart brian is Every household That is in god's word And being taught by or led by a good godly parent godly person Leading along the way is one that's going to be striving, healthy. Um, They're going to have productive conversations. They're going to be moving in a direction towards God. Um, And I think it's important because if we realize that ministry, that just the the ministry of, of helps and the ministry of just presence, of being part of your family, taking time away from other things, I think that's important. Abraham Hamilton on the Hamilton Corner on uh, uh, America Family Radio. He always states this, and this is this is something that I just I love how he says it. He says, "You now left your part-time job, yes, to produce a a income, but you are now entering into your full-time job to cultivate a outcome." Mm-hmm. And I think his wording is just, it's, it's perfect. It describes exactly who we're supposed to be as Christians, as dads, as leaders, as moms, as parents, as, as grandparents taking that time to understand that we have to look, we have to cultivate that outcome. I know what that means because of of what we do with the dirt and the ground and and everything. We gotta. We sometimes we have to break open the dirt a little bit and actually break that stuff down, you know, soften it up, so when the rain does come after we planted the seed, it does take root and it does want to sprout and it does take hold. And I think that's important to kind of, I guess, understand that concept a little bit.
0: I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I never heard the the Hamilton. Uh, "Quote." I really like that, and I think that's part of the problem. I think we've got those roles reversed. Uh, I think, and I see, and it's not just pastors. Let's let's shoot straight. It's it's people in business. It's people who work. Um, We take pride in our jobs, and I think sometimes we uh, overly identify our sense of being with what we do, Uh, and so, and let's here again. People get sometimes job scared, and so if you allow someone else the opportunity to do something, you, you, some some people have uh, this fear yeah. that that maybe they won't be needed, and so to keep themselves relevant, this isn't just for pastors. This is for everyone. They'll over they'll, they'll go above and beyond uh, to, to 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 look good to make themselves relevant for whatever position they hold. That's well and good. We need to have pride in our jobs. We need to take pride in what we do. We need we need to be such individuals who work so hard that people as Christ as Christians, so that employers will seek after Christians because of their hard work ethic and their and their uh, ability to put forth the, the very best as they as we work for the glory of God. Employers should be seeking after Christians because we have such a, a good work ethic. But having said that, when we leave the doors of our employment, we need to leave that job there and be open and available and accessible to our families. And listen, I'll be honest, I I haven't been, and I fully confess, I haven't been – all that successful with that all the time i'll be honest sometimes i bring my work home with me sometimes you know with studies sometimes I'm, i may not have taken the time with my family as i should it's something i'm working on i'm a work in progress so i'm kind of just really giving you uh insights as from a lot of my failures <laughs> if I'm, to be honest <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's hard because um it's hard because when we cross that threshold of the, of our door, we're entering into a different world, a different realm of, you know, uh, of issues and things. We don't know what our kids have gone through for that day when we come home from work, we don't know how, (laughs) how chaotic our wife's wife's day has been. And, and we come in and just want to data dump all of our stuff or just even dump our emotions on that. And we forget that, they need to have an outlet as well. Mm-hmm. And so Abraham Hamilton points it out that that when we leave our, that we're only there for, you know, a select amount of time. So he says, that's your part-time job. Mm-hmm. And we got to realize that that as we go to create an income for our family to sustain us and everything like that, yeah, we're working full-time. But what he's saying is that needs to be as of the importance of a part of a part-time job over our household, which is then our full-time job, we should be spending our time at home very wisely, precisely, and understand there's going to be ebbs and flows. I mean, there's going to be seasons where sometimes we might not be home until nine, ten o'clock at night. just If we're working hard or work at a specific job, but it still doesn't take away the fact that we can take that time, whatever time we do have and, try to cultivate that outcome Absolutely. so our kids are on the right track going in the right direction our wives are are um actually feel like they're they're important and they're and they're loved and that we need them actually in our lives not just for
0: <laughs> not just for uh,
1: just to, to have a call a phone call or to to you know say hey go take go go uh go pay this bill or or whatever needs to happen that they actually realize that, no, we, we do cherish their thoughts and their words, and we do want to hear their voice yeah, every now and again, you know? <laughs> so, yeah.
0: I was laughing at your expression. So. That's what caught me. <laughs> see, this is why we've yeah. got to get this on the air so people can see the the video as well as the audio. <laughs> uh, uh, well. It, so. Maybe one of these days it'll come, folks. <laughs> yeah
1: gotta get our internet speed up to speed here with this i don't know we both live in such rural areas that i don't i don't know i I think i think the the sound waves and and the the stuff goes out and i think it's flown by a bird to the next wire (laughs) it's why why our internet acts so slow sometimes but i don't know whatever it'll (laughs) just happen to be happening so so, I guess, and why, why do you think the article is so popular? I think, posi- I think it strikes a bone or cord chord with somebody.
0: Well, that's, that's what I was going to basically say myself. I, I think that uh, people realize, people may be convicted over the fact that maybe we haven't placed uh, the priorities where it needs to be. And I think, quite honestly, if we look around, around our culture, we see uh, families that are broken. Uh, we see families... That, the, the the bedrock for any society is the family unit, and the fact yeah. that our family units are eroding at the pace that they are uh, shows. It's it's evident because of the depravity we have. I think that the more the society turns away from God, the more depraved it's getting. Listen, I live close to Mayberry, or the, what uh, the the inspiration for what was Mayberry from the Andy Griffith show. Uh, And I saw the first case of road rage I have ever seen in my life in the area uh, recently. It it's not that's not a place that's the last place you'd expect to see that happen, but but it happens. And you can see by the people who are uh, just driving the roads, you can see it in the faces of people out in the public that people are frustrated, people are anxious, people are mad, they're angry, and I think a lot of it has to come down to not only um, the rejection of godly principles and the rejection of God in our culture, but also I think a large part comes down to the breakdown of the family unit. So I think we're we're getting to the point where we understand how important family is, and I think maybe that's one of the things that's striking a chord in the hearts and lives of people.
1: Yeah. I I honestly think that our world is moving and I've said this before our world is moving at such a pace right now that we it's almost like this fomo that everybody has the fear of missing out oh, yeah. that, that something's something else is going on something outside of here is going on so it grabs our attention and takes our it takes our energy away from what we should be I think you know I and this is just me kind of thinking out loud. We were never designed to, to be um, omnipotent uh, in any sort of way. But our little devices we have in our pockets or we carry with us allow us to be omnipotent. We get to see what's going on all around the world. And we don't have the ability to pro- – I, I truly believe this. We don't have the ability to process everything that's going on. And then our culture – automatically wants us to force, wants to force us to make a decision left, right, up, down, whatever the decision needs to be. It wants to force us into making a decision. And if we don't have a decision, then we're, you know, then we might as well be agreeing with the other side It wants to divide us. And, and so by the fact that we're moving at such a, spa- at, a at such a pace, and we, need, we now have all of this knowledge of this, the, you know, of what's going on in the world. I mean, we now know what happened in Bulgaria or what happened over in, you know, Alaska or what happened. You, you see what I'm saying? And it's it's we were never meant to move at that pace. We were meant to live locally and, and with our families. And I think that we miss that. We don't know our neighbors we know more about political entities and people who are on, uh, e- <laughs> for example, we know more about the people that are in the Supreme Court justices than we know about our neighbor next door.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. And, and you know, it's funny, Curtis, because you and I, had, we spoke off, off the air about this very issue. And it's funny, since you said that, I've heard two or three people, no less than two or three people who have said the same thing that you said, not worded not worded the same, but, but had the same impression that we're not meant to handle the, 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 the amount of information ongoing yeah. that we are on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, it's interesting, one of the things, that, and I, I'm not a medical doctor, so I, I can't say yeah. that, whether there's a relation to this or not, but it is interesting – that, uh, well, let me just back up to say, we have Alzheimer's that goes in our family. Uh, we, we've had some family members who've had Alzheimer's. So it, in the back of our minds, we don't stress and worry about it, but in the back of our minds is there that we have had some family members who've had it. And, um, you know, on one side of the family, they, they no one has it. On the other side of the family, there's a few have it. It's just going to be up to that genetic roll of the dice as to which one I and my sister and cousins, which side we get, But uh, especially my sister and I. Um, But the point is, I was talking to my mom, who is a nurse, about about this issue, this very thing, and I was telling her how I have noticed uh, an increase in younger folks. When I say younger, I'm talking about 50s, 60s younger individuals getting alzheimer's and she said some of the research that she has 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 heard or read one says that we we need to keep our brains active but two we also need time to allow our brains to rest Yep. We need to allow time, our minds time to rest and even take 10, 15 minutes a day, maybe more. Dr. Purser and I were talking about this. 10, 15 minutes a day or maybe more just to just allow our minds to rest. And I wonder, I, I never had thought about this till you, till you mentioned that, Curtis, off the air. I wonder if this constant bombardment of, of news and, and worry and anxiety if that's not taking a huge major toll not only on our physical state but also on our emotional and spiritual state, I think you are on to well, something big,
1: time. big. Big time. Big time. And that's why that's why I, I that's why I encourage people all the time, and my wife will attest to this, I encourage people all the time get up early, get in God's word, spend time praying. If you don't get the command of what to, how to handle the day, your day you'll never catch back up. You'll mm-hmm. you'll never you'll never be ahead of where you need to be. But by having God's word stored in your heart as you enter into the day, it gives you a whole different view and aspect and a way to be able to look at these news cycles or or the things that are coming. You can have compassion. You can have these kind of things that go along with all of that in news information, but you can really realize that your hope rests in in the one that rose from the grave.
0: Absolutely, amen.
1: Yeah, I just I don't know. I think it's I think there's something to it. I think God restores our minds as we as we pray to Him, as we just sit and meditate on His Word, and we just. Um, Read it and just think about it. Ponder what's going on in the Word, what He means by it, how how it's going to interact and change our um, change our attitude in life. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's it's important to do that. I think there's there's just something about um, spending that time. And and honestly, even even I, take a nap for <laughs> yeah. take a five minute nap. A five minute nap, it doesn't it doesn't take anything. Yeah, you know, I mean, you let your mind rest, you know. So, anyway, so let's look at some scripture here. What does First uh, Timothy uh, five eight say about the importance of caring for one's family?
0: You know, Curtis, I really think that this this passage of scripture, if if you're looking for a home run passage to talk about how important family is. this is the one this is the one we, we started the podcast off with. It says if anyone has does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Some translations will say infidel. Um, that, that really puts it in perspective that that uh, if if we refuse to take care of the needs of our family, we refuse to care for our family, then and this this is written in a time when the greco-roman world did not place a lot of value on families yeah. uh, christianity elevated family judaism did as well uh, judaism and christianity christianity especially elevated the role of women it elevated the role of the family and so paul goes he goes to the point to say that if you don't take care of your family you're worse than an unbeliever why are you worse? you're worse because you know better, you you have the grace of God, you have the truth of Christ, you know mm-hmm. the importance of the family unit. but if for you to who knows has this grace of God and knows better to still blatantly refuse to take care of your family, then that that's a very negative thing. That's a very negative uh, yeah. uh, sense of rebellion, not only against your family but against God.
1: Yeah, there's a lot in there that, that is just so important. Uh, and um, if if we look at, you know, um, how that culture would have been at that time period, if I'm not mistaken, they wouldn't even acknowledge babies and, and little children until they got old enough to be, you know, educated and in school and oh, yeah. so on and so forth. I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. In fact, for Jesus to... Welcome children and place them on his lap was unheard of within yeah. rabbinic Judaism. It was unheard of yeah. because for for some children were seen as second class citizens. In the Greek world, it was even worse. Women and children were seen as just slightly above livestock. Uh, I mean, they had a very low view of women and very low view of children. In fact, Christians uh, here not getting political, just stating historical fact. Christianity from the very beginning was pro-life. Christians were well known for uh, going and saving children who were That's left right. uh, out in the wilderness. What do they call it? There's a word for it. Um, yep. What was the name of it? It was a type of yeah, they left, left, exposure left on their
1: doorstep. It, it, yep. I
0: think it was called exposure or something like that. That that families that didn't want the, these young babies would take them out and expose them to the elements and either allow nature to take them or wild beasts to come and devour them. I mean, that was, that was to be their fate. The Christians would hide by the, by the, by the, uh, in the woods, and they would see them leave these young children. And when the families got away, far enough away, walked far enough away where they couldn't be seen, the Christians would come and take these children and foster them and adopt them into their very own families. And would save the lives of these young children from the very beginning uh, yeah. Christianity has been pro-life.
1: It's because we see we see them as imago Dei, made in God's image. We Absolutely. understand that that's from the very beginning that was set that was set as in motion. Um, God put this in order it's it's the very first institution. That God created with a man and a woman was to actually uh, basically subdue the earth and populate the earth. Absolutely. So the he he actually ordained the family before he ordained anything else. Just wait till we get
0: to Deuteronomy here in a few minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how does how does First Timothy three? Uh, verses 4 and 5 speak of family care, serving uh, as a prerequisite for church ministry. This is important here.
0: So in high school and college, there are certain courses you take that have a listing on it to say that, that there's a prerequisite to take this course. So before you can take uh, New Testament 2, you have to take, first of all, New Testament 1. Before you take an advanced uh, class on the theology of God, many many programs will have a prerequisite to say you need to take systematic theology first. So take the systematic theology classes first, then you can get into deeper elements. Uh, so, for instance, let me give as another another example: before you can take calculus, uh, advanced level of mathematics, you first of all need to take. Algebra, maybe trigonometry, maybe some, maybe geometry, and th- some of these classes before you get to that advanced level. Now, don't worry, Curtis. I never made it that far. Uh, my son, uh, he, my son <laughs> takes after my son <laughs> takes after my wife. He's the math whiz, and so I go to him with any math problems. Uh, I can parse out words and, and things of that nature from the from the literary and historical standpoint. But he's the math whiz, and my wife is too. But uh, but the prerequisite for church ministry is that you first take care of your family before you serve in, in, in pastoral ministry or church leadership of any sort. You first of all need to prove that you're taking care of your family. So let's read 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5. Uh, it's, this is the qualifications of an overseer. It's the same thing for the deacon later on. So this person must manage his own household com- competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? Now, he's not saying that you have um, the your children on a short leash or anything like that. He's talking about the fact that you're caring for your family so well that you, you, your family is is a is a solid unit. Uh, they're cared for. Their needs are cared for. You're providing for them. You're there spiritually, emotionally, and physically for them. That is a prerequisite for ministry. So rather than, rather than. Uh, sacrificing our families on the altar of pastoral or deacon or church leadership success, elder whatever the case may be, Paul is saying that the prerequisite for anyone before they can serve in pastoral ch- church ministry, regardless of what it may be, that the prerequisite is is that they're already good caregivers for their family. I believe that's the core message what he has in verses 4 and 5. That's the core message of 4 and 5.
1: Yeah. And I, there's, there's a lot to that whole that whole section of how of how Paul's lining that out to Timothy, and he's saying, look, these things can take you off track, and and you know, I've heard some some people say um, that if you go back up a little further, it says uh, therefore an overseer must be uh, above reproach. The husband of one wife. I've heard people say, you know, certain things about that where, you know, as far as um, a divorce or remarriage or what have you in there. But I think the heart of it is exactly what you're talking about. It's the focus, the focus of one wife, the focus of your family, the focus of, you know, taking care of these things prior to adventuring out so your family is secure actually moving in one motion with you along with that because if if when you step out to do ministry it's not it's not easy let alone is it uh you know something where you can do on your own you have to have your family with you and that's why you know with you know that's why he sets it up that way. He says, "Hey, look, you've got to take care of this per this stuff first, well, set the groundwork, and be part of that." There's
0: a, there's a couple things that I that we could say mention there to defend what we're what you're saying, and I think you're absolutely on point. Number one is that he uses a present indicative language when he's talking about all of these qualifications. So when he talks about uh, being gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, not a heavy drinker. He's not talking about whether you had a a past of this, or whether you' done this in the past. Right. He's talking about the present indicative uh, qualifications. Are you presently? Uh, this way I mean you may have been 10 15 years ago you may have been an alcoholic but God saved right. you God spared you you're not that way anymore so we're not going to hold what happened to you 15 years ago against you well in like manner the the vernacular the language for the husband of one wife is in that same tense present indicative so he's not talking about what's happened in the past he's talking about the very present moment. Are you caring for your wife? Are you caring for your family? And number two, True. the word um, must manage his own household com- competently, uh, or he must, the word word is uh, proistemi. proistemi, which means leadership, but it also means a caregiver. Uh, this word proistemi is talking about that you're caring for your family in such a way that their needs are met, so... Really, here, these two, this is kind of a slam-dunk argument, I think, that we have here. One, present indicative case, not talking about what happened 15, 20 years ago, talking about what's going on now, and the proisteme that we're managing, we're caring for the needs of our household. Um, So, it's talking about caregiving.
1: So important. So important. So... Jesus Jesus taught that the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, five was the greatest commandment. How does the greatest commandment link to the caring of a person's family?
0: Oh, it's very important. So the Shema, this comes from the Hebrew word here. Shema, Yisrael, Adonai, Ohelo, Adonai, Echad means, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus says this is the greatest commandment above and beyond any other commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And so this is the number one commandment. But follow, follow the point thereafter. Follow what he continues to say after the point. He put it in the context. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart you meditate upon them you reflect upon them maybe even memorize them i think that's a very that's a very important point that we have there as well meditate and memorize repeat them to your children talk about mm-hmm. them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. But pay pay special attention to the emphasis he gives on bringing up our children, bringing up our families in this focal point to love the Lord with all of our being. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, the Lord is one, and we're to love him with all of our being and train our children to do likewise
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and and it wasn't about the um the actual um how how can i put this it wasn't about the actual completing and doing as deuteronomy said you got to write them on your forehead and put them on your hands and put them on your doorpost what he's saying is you you Put them on your doorpost so your kids will ask those questions then you then you're able to speak to them and tell them the stories. It's no different than when uh, you know I was talking about you know the Passover. it says in there it says that, that God gave the command to them to do this every year and and be able to, to be able to tell the story of the salvation of Israel. To your kids, to your children, and to your families, and by doing that, you're you're actually loving them by showing them a pathway to what God has already lined out for them. Amen. So, what should we take away from these scriptures um, as a whole? You know, as we, as well as the 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 popularity of the article. So it's kind of just an overall picture of how are we to take this all.
0: Well, I, th- I think from the, on, the, on the one hand, uh, the Scriptures heavily emphasize the family. Uh, it, it heavily emphasizes the importance the family should play in the Christian's life. It also heavily uh, shows the um, level of attention that we as fathers and mothers should be giving our children to bring them up in the ways of the Lord. I hear a lot of people say, well, we're just going to let them make up their own minds when they get older. It kind of goes back to the old Andy Griffith show episode where uh, uh, you remember that show where where Opie was being. Um, he was, uh, there was a guy who came to town, and he was influencing him to do um, these um, things that were not honest to steal and do all these kind of things. And this guy says, well, why don't you just let him make up his own mind? And, and Andy says, well, you can't do that with children because they'll, they'll follow the fanciest thing, shiniest, brightest thing that around. And uh, by the time they realize it's dangerous, it'll be too late for them. Or some, I'm paraphrasing. Right. The same holds true when it comes to our faith. If if God is who He says He is, and we know Him to be that He is, we know Him to be that, uh, we know Him to be the God of all creation. If Jesus truly is the Son of God, and we know that He's, he's He is the incarnate Son of God who came and bore our sins and died on the cross for our sins and uh, was buried and rose again the third day, ascended to heaven, from whence He shall come to judge the living and the dead, we know that to be true. If we really believe that with all of our hearts, then that should then the education of our children in the ways of the lord should take center stage and by the way fathers let me tell you this statistics show that the fathers who stay in church the children if you're in church and you're you're dedicated to the lord chances are highly likely that your that your children will follow suit and do likewise
1: that's
0: right so we've got to be focused we've got to to, to place uh, the attention on our families and to train them in the ways of the Lord, because we know that these truths are, are, um, are real, that they're truthful. We, we know that these beliefs that we hold are truthful, and so we need to instill them within the lives of our families. So that, um, that's what we see on the one hand. On the other hand, I, I again go back to uh, kind of what we were talking about earlier, Curtis, that... Uh, I think people are beginning to see the importance that family plays in the lives of young children uh, and in, the, in in society as a whole. And I think, hopefully, uh, my prayer is that maybe we'll see a renaissance of individuals who are devoted to building strong family units uh, so that we can kind of turn the tide on what's going on in our culture.
1: Yeah, I think in our current situation, all around the world, we're starting to see people actually realizing what um, what the result is from relinquishing that um, right to speak into our children, relinquishing that that overall um, oversight of the family and in engagement with the family. I think we're starting to see that with the rise of of all the way these these um, <laughs> you could say these popular. Um, ideologies that keep popping up, and and how it's really steering and breaking down the family and the family structure, and denying even the makeup of the family um, it, it, as as lack of importance. And I, I mean, not to get political in any way, but I did hear a politician once say that we just need to move out of the way and the parents need to move out of the way and let the government raise their kids. And
0: Oh my gosh. That
1: is yeah, that is such a was a huge shocker to a lot of people when they heard that. And I think there's a lot of people starting to realize that wait a minute, that is what's happening when we're not actually engaging, giving our kids the right kind of steps, the right kind of grounding, the right kind of Foundation of how to think and how to think properly through some of this stuff. I I I I don't think it's a bad thing to have different ideas being out there from people being taught, but I think it's really bad when they when people say that that there is um, there's no other way but away from God, yeah. and I th- and 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 so we we need to be setting forth the groundwork for our kids i really truly yeah. think that
0: yeah I, and I, I agree with you curse but I, I think on i think on the on the core fundamentals and just to just to kind of um clarify here I, on the core fundamentals we, we've we've definitely and i know you agree on this we've definitely got to train them up in those and those uh things mm-hmm. of the lord and and we can't leave it out there to uh but because the Paul, I was in my devotional reading today. Paul was even talking to the church of Colossae and was warning them about against clever arguments that would lead them astray yeah. from the, the truth of God's word. I mean, they were out there in the first century; they're out there in abundance today. I mean, there are cleverly worded yeah. things that would try to lead our children away from faith in the Lord. Um, But also, I think you bring up a good point that we need to be able to teach our children how to think for themselves, and so that when there are opposing uh, uh, opinions out there, that they can weigh the evidence and and, uh, make good decisions for themselves. So I think there's definitely a balance there, and and, um, that's something we need to do as fathers and mothers. And yep. fathers, let me, let me say on. one more thing here, too. I've heard many Christian fathers who say, well, I'm going to leave the spiritual things to the mother. No, you have a calling to bring up your children in the ways of the Lord. You are very That's much right. in a part of this, and you need to take uh, a, a fundamental role in the training of your children.
1: That's right. That's right. And uh, since this is going out, we're gonna just say Happy Mother's Day because that's that's this coming weekend, and we wanna we wanna <laughs> say thank you to all the mothers. Um, and hoof to boy, now, the work Curtis, that they do.
0: Curtis, what's your mom's <laughs> name? Carol. So happy Mother's Day to Carol Evalo and Happy Mother's Day to my mom Gail Chilton. Uh, as Curtis said, we hope you have a wonderful and blessed Mother's Day
1: this That's funny Yeah. Yep. Well there it is. We here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us and we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Until next time, Brian and I say, "So on, my friends. friends.
0: You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com.